Hello, I'm Anne Doyle, and you're listening to Pause Vibe Podcast, a podcast for HIV positive people, their friends, family, and allies. We are so glad you could join us. Here are your hosts, Veda Lady, the most beautiful woman in the world, in her price range, and Robbie Lawler, the pride of the coom. A one, a two, a you know what to do. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Pause Vibe podcast. Today is a very special day because today we are celebrating World AIDS Day. For World AIDS Day, it's, uh, it's important for our community because it's a day to commemorate all those who have sadly lost their lives to AIDS. But it's also a day to kind of celebrate our lives today and where we are and still it's almost a protest of so much that we still need to do within the HIV positive community around the world and that's why we are so excited to share our guest with you who is our Lady J the writer of Pose. Welcome my Lady J. Hi baby it's been so long I'm so fucking Hi, excited Gorgie to Gorge. see you. It's good to see you. It's crazy I was so excited all day I've been listening to your music wandering around town I've been having flashbacks oh to electric picnics in like 2009, 2011, just really oh, missing wonderful. you. Tori Amos as well, some Tori Amos today for you, girl. I've been listening to Tori as well oh. and uh, listening to a lot of her interviews. And it's, it's amazing. She's talking about healing in nature, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm out on the Pacific coast in California camping as we speak. Yeah, it looks incredible where you are. Well, we're in a lane really in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> a back dirty lane. Yeah, a rainy lane in Dublin. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really you having a life. You have some coasts where you're at. Yeah. You yeah, can always find the ocean. <laughs> so Our Lady J, on the podcast, we always want to get our listeners to know our guests a little bit more. And people know you as a producer and writer of Pose and Transparent and your you know, features in RuPaul's Drag Race. But there is a story behind the amazing talent that you are. So do you want to share with our listeners a little bit more about your personal story of living with HIV? Sure. Um, well, I, I mean, it's a long story, but I'll try to, <laughs> to keep it short and, and bittersweet. Um, the, I was really, uh, before I came out as trans, you know, I came out as queer um, many, many years ago in the 90s, in the early mid 90s. And um, it was in the middle of the pandemic um, the AIDS pandemic. And, um, you know, I, I felt very lost and, and confused and terrified and all of those things. And like we're seeing today uh, with COVID, um, there's just a lot of misinformation about and a lot of conspiracies. Um, so there were a lot of parallels at the time, if, if our listeners can imagine who, who aren't PAWS um, or who, who maybe grew up in a later generation. Um, it was really similar, except it was so isolated to the queer community. And so much of that translated into um, self-hatred, really. Um, and so I had to go on a journey to really find and accept who I was. And, and that resulted in me coming out um, in uh, 2005 as trans. I was um, 26 at the time. So um, 16 years ago, um, I finally said to myself, you know, this is, this is who I am and I'm, I'm going to give it a shot, you know. Um, and what inspired that actually was my um, positive diagnosis um, from 2004. Um, 
I suppose looking at COVID, it's really interesting the um, the parallels of conspiracy and doubt of the government and mistrust of medicine were really rampant in the queer community. There were um, all sorts of conspiracy theories that HIV was created in a laboratory um, to kill queer folks, to kill the black community, to you know really um, poison our communities and to um, get rid of us. And a lot of my friends believed it. And I believed it. I believed part of it. I was like, well, you know what? They've, they haven't treated us so well so far. <laughs> so maybe they're right. Um, and, you know, that really, looking back on it, um, in the uh, awakening of COVID consciousness, I realized I did not get tested as much as uh, I should have had it just been a medical experience. You know, there was so much stigma attached to it and so much denial. So I wasn't getting tested um, frequently. I got tested like every year and a half. And um, during that time, um, I had gone from HIV to AIDS in, in um, 18 months and did not know it. So when I found out I had um, HIV AIDS, um, and this isn't something I've talked about much actually, um, I had opportunistic infections and, um, you know, a T cell count of 220, which AIDS is like 200, but because of the opportunistic infections, um, my doctor considered it AIDS. Um, I went into a really restorative period um, where I had to repair my body. And I did not realize that I would also be repairing my mind and repairing my spirit along the way. Um, so when I found out I was positive, at, I went to GMHC uh, two days later, the gay men's health crisis in New York City. And uh, a social worker told me that this was going to be a blessing. And she said, I know it doesn't feel like it now, but this is, this is going to be a blessing. It is for a lot of people because it's a reality check. And I hated her for saying that because I, you know, I was with a, a, a partner at the time who, who left me the next day and said he didn't want to watch me die. And it was very traumatic. <laughs> We were in our mid twenties and it was still, you know, the medication was just being proven at the time um, to keep sus people sustaining and undetectable as untransmittable was not yet in the zeitgeist. So there was just so much fear. And with that, I went on a, a journey alone and um, I got my immune system up. I went on meds um, shortly after. And, you know, I was wasting as well. I had to take prescription protein um, packets. And um, I joke saying, you know, the voluptuous woman you see today, you can, um, imagine, and I'm, I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> as a pauser, I feel like we have- we, Yeah, we give me some of those protein uh, shakes you're having. But yeah. So I, I, I physically restored myself and along the way, um, I had to figure out like, what was it that I was trying to kill? What was it that I was neglecting? What was it that I was um, withdrawing from? And it was my body. I had um, never looked at my body and felt at home. And in that sense, I, I realized that I could be trans. So I, you know, in therapy, I explored it bit by bit. And during that transitioning, my, um, my career um, drastically changed as well, where I was a classical pianist before that. 
And even though I was like deep in alcoholism and drug abuse, somehow I maintained a career in classical music and in music in general. Because you're insanely talented. That's why, like insanely talented. I am such a fan. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, what happened, though, was when I transitioned, the um, all the work went away. So suddenly I had a, a sober body and a sober mind and I was healthy. But because I was a trans woman, I was not hireable. So I had to change my career and I adopted the stage name Our Lady J because I had been reading Our Lady of the Flowers, um, which is about these horrible queer criminals. And um, I just felt like I was really in the underbelly of society. I wasn't accepted um, by the mainstream and I wasn't ever going to have success, mainstream success, um, because I was a weirdo queerdo and um, I had HIV AIDS and I just, thought, well, fuck it, I'm going to be who I want to be in this moment. So um, with that, I I started doing these stage shows, which is how Veda and I met. We were touring. Um, Actually, I met uh, Justin Vivian Bond while doing um, my shows, Our Lady J at the Zipper Factory. And um, Viv invited me to go out on tour. And so we went on tour and Viv invited me to uh, introduce me to Veda backstage at the Soho Theater was the first time we met. And then we went out and did Electric Picnic Festival. And that was really such a a beautiful time in my life. Um, Those two festivals that we played were just really incredible. And I think about it all the time and I want to go back. Is it still happening? It has stopped you know, during COVID, but it's starting again next year. Absolutely. And we shall go back. Let's go back. I'm coming back. Yeah. Oh, Let's come back. back to us. And there's more Whether queer like festivals here. We, we can get you for many shows. <laughs> I've, played, I've played it many times since then. And I'm, I'm hooked up, baby. We can go back. Sure. <laughs> we can go back. Fabulous. Yeah. I'll never forget that first um, day that we got to the electric picnic and you had the biggest rollers in your hair. And you had like a <laughs> scarf tied around your head and you were smoking a cigarette and looking very Madonna. And I, I, you know, I hadn't seen you perform yet. And we were just chit-chatting around, around the, I was going to say campfire, but really it was just a pile of cans of beer, I think, is what it actually was. Um, and then, you know, we went to see yourself and Viv perform and you were there at that time more in a supportive role playing piano for Viv and in the middle of the show you busted out Pink Prada purse and I died (laughs) I was like I knew it I knew she was a fucking star Mm -hmm. look at her Uh, I'm still obsessed with the song you know I made a whole video to perform that song and I performed that song I love it from then until you know, COVID, I've been performing that song. And today I went looking in charity shops for a decent handbag and a water pistol. I didn't find <laughs> one yet, but I'll have one by Sunday and she'll be back on the menu by Sunday. Like, I'm just so blessed to have met That's you amazing. then and to still know you Thank now. You. It's amazing. I'm so glad you performed that song. I actually retired that song because of the gun crisis in America. And I felt like it wasn't... Um, we, I wasn't in a place to to perform that yet. I, I do think the song still has a lot of humor, um, but it's just so uh, it's such a 
a moment um, in time here that we need to correct. Um, the song for our listeners it jokes, it's, it's about this insane woman who meets an ex-boyfriend of hers and um, she happens to be carrying a pistol in her pink Prada purse and she's also high with her girlfriend and you're not quite sure, like, is she in a fantasy right now? Or is she really like pulling her gun out and um, letting him know what she thinks of him <laughs> because he had cheated on her and, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was not a good situation. She was the wrong person so the to song cheat is on. The story. <laughs> well, in my performance, she only has a water pistol in her pink powder purse. <laughs> so okay, when, the, when the fat slut gets shot in the face, oh it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> I say fat slut with inverted commas. You have to listen to the song. <laughs> well, that was the um, that was the joke on myself. It was like I was a, a very a, a heavy set, curvy, delicious, luscious woman who was sexually active, and you know, in the song, the girl um, she she says that to the the woman that she's jealous of her she knows uh-huh. that's who she is <laughs> so do i so do i <laughs> all right i just kind of bring it back to your story because it's, it's really beautiful and thanks for sharing for us I, I just constantly inspired by people when they live their truth whether it's you know living as the woman that they are or is coming out about their hv status or in your case doing both <laughs> uh you know we may uh, things may go up in fire and we may leave things behind but like um, what I loved about your story is that you were like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it the way I want now on my own grounds. And look where you are today. Look at the huge success you are because you got to do it through your own truth. Like I, like I, it may seem like a small thing, but for many people in a closet or f- who do feel that self-shame, that's a huge inspiration to all of us, really. To me, especially mm-hmm. to me personally, to me directly, you know, I didn't. I wasn't in a strong enough place to come out to people about my HIV status for a long time. And even though I've loved and respected you so much, I wasn't able to put it on the table when we were together last. And I felt guilty about it. I still feel guilty about it because I love and respect you so much. But I also feel like everything I've done since I came out, I have done because I've been so inspired by you and people like us. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. And I'm sorry that um, you you feel guilty. There's no need to feel that because we all come to terms with our status when we do. And I felt like had I not found the support that I had found at the time through GMHC and through these nonprofits in New York City, I might not have ever come out. And I certainly respect um, the decision for people to not disclose their status. Um, you know, that's a heated debate, um, especially sexually. You know, we know now that undetectable is untransmittable. And um, when do we disclose to partners? When do we disclose to friends? When do we disclose to family? It took me um, five years to disclose to my family. Um, and um, it took me I don't know, with friends, it was a little different because we were living in New York and um, there were a lot of pause folks around. And in my support group as well, there was a pause trans woman. Um, Her name was Chloe, she's uh, since passed. Um, But she she really encouraged me um, to move towards activism. Um, Her name was Chloe Zubilo and um, she was a well-known trans 
um, AIDS activist. So I, I decided to put it into my art and my music. And that was the reason that I felt okay coming out. And um, so I, I never expect or feel any sort of way about folks who, who don't disclose their status. Um, you know, I don't, I don't um, expect that to happen because I, I realized that my situation was kind of extraordinary in the way that I had um, art and I had this, uh, this platform in New York City at that period in time with the proper surroundings and uh, safe surroundings, safe enough to come out. Um, but that is why I decided to write it into my music. And it wasn't really this thing of like, I just decided one day that I would be brave. It certainly wasn't that at all. I was terrified. It was that I was desperate more than anything else. Um, I feel like the desperation to have any sort of success. Um, one of the things that my uh, addiction led me to was I was living in an abandoned building um, when I found out um, my status. And in that abandoned building, it was, I mean, it was miserable. It was like the roof was caving in. I had to have a trash bag on my, a trash can on my bed to catch the rain at night when the rain would come in. It was very Rent, the musical Rent. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was convincing myself. I was like, oh, this is just Rent. Uh, this is not, <laughs> this is not that, that downtrodden. But it really was, I had, um, I had lost so much. Um, and, um, to, to my addiction. Um, and then when I came out as trans, even though I was able to build, um, sustain a career and keep my music going, um, during that time, um, once I got sober, um, I had lost all of that. So it really became this, uh, I, I had a desperate need to continue as an artist. And so I had to step out away from the piano, um, just like you, I guess, witnessed at Electric Picnic. Um, and that's when I began to center my writing. And um, first I did it in cabaret shows and I did it in little monologues. And there were always, um, you know, comedy-based monologues that were quite self-deprecating um, at times. And, um, but also, you know, heartwarming um, the way I structured the shows to, to kind of have a, a meeting uh, towards the end, whether I was talking about religion or, um, transness or queerness or HIV AIDS. Um, and then once that, um, once I saw that the audiences actually enjoyed the banter more than the songs, which was quite disappointing if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to make music. Like them equally, for sure. Oh, I can relate to that too. <laughs> <laughs> then I, I began to write, um, I began to put that into, you know, screenplays and short stories. And, and then that's how I started my career in television, um, four seasons on Transparent and then three seasons writing posts. Um, but that being said, the entire time I did have support um, around my status in my immediate uh, work group so much that at Pose, um, you know, when we were, we were rewriting the pilot, we were just editing the pilot really um, when I came in and there was talk about how much do we want to say about HIV AIDS in this show and um, I very strongly said this <laughs> if this show is in New York City in 1987 this show has to be about HIV AIDS 
it has wow, to be that's such an interesting process. Engine. Can I just hold you there? So I thought Pose was like primarily for to uh, to, to tell stories within the Black and Latino communities and the trans community about tr- about HIV. But what I'm hearing from you is like actually no, HIV was almost like an afterthought about was it going to be integral to the story or not? It was. It, it certainly was going to be a part of the story, but integral. Um, I I was the only out um, pause person. And so I felt like, um, perhaps spiritually, they had been waiting for that to happen. Thank you so um, much <laughs> for doing that. Thank you so much for pushing that agenda because the majority, I give lo- lots of lectures to university students and the majority of their knowledge around HIV comes from pose or the, the AIDS crisis. And that's the representation wow. that they've gotten. And for me, it kind of makes my job a lot easier because, well, because before pose, there wasn't that much representation that and it's a sin, I should say, they were both. But um, what Poe's done was I gave them a different um, perspective or representation because normally it's white gay men dying of AIDS. That's the representation we got in pop culture. But Poe's is something <coughs> completely different uh, and tells all those stories that need to be told in such a beautiful and loving and fun way as well and celebrates them. So With fashion so- and music. And dance. <laughs> oh, I That's love incredible. it so much. So just thank you for pushing that from the pilot from... from everyone here and everyone listening i'm sure we're all so grateful that you've done that yeah i'm sure you know that it's game changer but it's a game changer and it's so inspiring and like you talking about um hiv in your shows and in your music and um was such a direct inspiration to me when i felt like it was my time to come out and that's how i started and that's what i've been doing since so now i'm going to write a hit tv show for netflix yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's watch right. Out. <laughs> I would fully support that. I would watch every episode. Great. Lady, You'll be in every episode. Make, make that happen. Our Lady UJ, because we're on the, the topic of pose, um, how has your experience of living with HIV informed your writing of the series, or has it informed your writing? So, what the way we wrote pose was we we each wrote to our strengths and to our life experiences. And so there are five writers in the group and we divided every episode um, based on the content and um, we, we group wrote every episode and then the credits were added afterwards. And that was, um, and, and kind of how it works in televisions. That's, that's how writer's rooms often work. Um, so I ended up writing um, every HIV AIDS scene on pose and then you know we would workshop it as a group really we'd workshop the story um first and uh the showrunner often knew where the story was going to go ryan murphy often knew where the story was going to go and then he would come in and, and pitch the story and we would go back and forth and kind of mold the story and then once the story was set then we would go away and we would write our scenes um and so i took the hiv aid stuff i also took um, all of <laughs> Electra's uh, dominatrix. Um, oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think I'm most proud of actually the season two Electra read where she's in the restaurant no. with the the <gasps> woman with the scrunchie, <gasps> and the girls are there, and she goes off on that monologue about her pony and her boyfriend. And so I was really proud of that monologue. You should um, be. That was one of the most iconic but, scenes of the whole show. Oh yeah. my god! Did Dominique get Thank to wear your you. dominatrix clothing earlier today? <laughs> What's that? Did Dominique get to wear your uh, dominatrix clothing? <laughs> um, well, I 
the fun thing about writing as well is you get to imagine what those costumes look like and then you get to describe them. So I remember there was this one, I think it was her first dominatrix outfit where I described, I wanted to see this, this dress made of belts and belt buckles. And I just had this idea in my head. I'm not a fashionista at all. I'm an anti-fashion actually. I'm, I'm all about like pajamas and like comfortable clothing. But if the characters are gonna wear something fun, why not have fun with it? So I described this in our costume department. It just, they blew my mind every single time. Um, you know, or even I, I wrote the Marie Antoinette um, ball scene. And when I saw those costumes come to life, I just thought, wow. So it's, it's really such a collaborative process. Um, as a writer, you get to see your ideas come to life in the costume and hair through the acting. And can I but ask no, you? No, there were none of my dominatrix outfits. Used to <laughs> <laughs> Keep them for yourself. <laughs> Did it come at a cost, Our Lady J? You know, like it's great to see how beautiful the product is, but I wonder as well if you're playing basically with with those characters, and it's so personal to you. Did it? Did it re-traumatize you? Did did it come at a cost or was it very healing to do it? Um, it absolutely came at a cost. Yeah, both transparent and pose. Um, I remember thinking in transparent, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I like bleeding out all over the page? Um, it, it's exhausting. And, you know, I've had to really up my mental health practices um, because you, you bleed out your story and then the process is editing, right? So the process is business. So you, you bleed out something so personal and then you have to make the business of it. And often, you know, you make changes and sacrifices, um, which are just part of storytelling and part of life in general, you know, when making art. Um, so those sacrifices can, at first, uh, early and transparent, I remember just like really holding dearly to them and not wanting them to change, but then understanding where the audience was and um, where we had to get the story in order for the audience to hear the story and for the audience to be able to take the story in. There's that compromise and that dance that you do with your audience. And um, it's gotten much, much easier as the years go on because the audiences are so more informed now. Um, I feel like I've been just working my ass off to educate them <laughs> and now I'm You've been doing finally it. getting them into a place like a true dominatrix <laughs> your world dominatrix yeah. i love it oh my god take your foot I'm off our necks for what i really want to say have i said it yet no i've said glimpses of what i want to say but i'm still um training my audience to be able to hear me and to be able to hear trans voices and to be able to hear pause voices. Um, the whole truth is not out there yet, but that's the dance we do as a community. That's activism and that's activism within art. Um, it's an ongoing process and it never ends. And that's why we need more and more artists to join board um, because it is exhausting and does take a toll. Um, when I when I got into pose, the, the pause element, I was so, uh, grateful in my coming out to the room the first time I talked about it you know I always let the writer's room know that this is something I'm comfortable writing about because it is important to have you know consent in in art as well um so 
I, I said that this is something I wanted to write about and I, I, I happily consented to that, um, but it did come at a toll. And, um, you know, there were times where um, I had to really interrogate things that I hadn't looked at yet. Um, and, you know, and a lot of those monologues um, were just so fresh from my experience that um, they came with a lot of tears. I cried lots of tears watching Pose. I, I cried lots of tears watching Transparent. I guess that's where that question came from, you know, that I could feel it myself personally so raw. And I guess sometimes as well in the work that we're doing with the podcast, I end up feeling very raw. I have days where I cry a lot. That's a new feature, you know. It's a new feature yeah, of living. Feature. Well, that's certainly a good feature of living. And it is our duty as artists, as activists to, you know, when we create content, we have to heal um, as part of it. Like we have to step away. We have to join nature. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our mental health. We have to take care of our bodies. And, um, and then we come back to it refreshed, hopefully. And so it is this, it is like a fight, you know, when you're in your boxing, I don't know, I've never fought, uh, I've never boxed in my life, but you know, if you get into the ring and you're taking swings and you get knocked down and then you, you rest and then you get back in the ring and, and that's the fun of it and that's the thrill of it. Unfortunately, I don't think an activist can ever not be an activist. There's an organization that I don't work with in the UK called Restless Development and it's called Restless because it's like in your veins you're always like you always want to get up to the next thing but we do need to take the break but then the restlessness just comes right back and but it's great because we can explore it in different ways then that's right for us at that time and just thank you so much for that our lady jay because i know how tiring it can be but i know when we get messages of just how much this podcast has meant to people it kind of restores you and makes you go back to the basics of why are we doing this and it kind of gives you that fire again so I, I know it's been a huge personal cause, but this is the feedback that we're giving you now. Thank you. It's it's so different writing TV um, than writing or than than performing. I really miss that element of performance where you you get that restoration pretty quickly from your audience and that exchange. For television, you know, you can go months and months at a time without with only a small group of folks who are are giving that restoration. Um, and then the way that it comes out is I try not to read. Um, I, you know, I deleted my Twitter account, I deleted Facebook. My Instagram is just vanity and music. Um, <laughs> so No, that's not true. There's some very important posts on your Instagram, you know, and I want oh, people who are you. listening to well, know that, to go and okay, check them well, out. I, I will say that the, the visuals are vanity and then I will <laughs> take a moment to to comment in the 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 caption i will take a moment to say something important i love there. them i say what them. i'm saying is that i don't i i don't follow much uh, on social media so i i don't get um i don't often understand what the audiences are saying um until um later or you know when i don't know i used to follow everything and i used to read every single review and um i found it really wasn't good for the creative process for me. Um, my job is to create and to sell shows to networks. And so that that's what I focus all my time on. Of course, I'm listening to the audience and I'm most importantly, I'm listening to my community. Um, those are the voices that I do listen to. And 
in my community, um, you know, I, I let that guide me to where I'm going, but my number one goal is that I have to sell these shows to network, networks and I have to um, get the job done. But often what I'm saying is that I, I don't hear that um, the feedback as much with TV and I thank you dearly. So basking it dearly, basking it. <laughs> Stay with us, our Lady J, because we want to bring in our next guest, Daniel. Welcome, Hi. Daniel, who is also an artist. And a beautiful one at that. So, Daniel, please share with our listeners a little bit more about you and your story of living with HIV. Um, I'm, I'm Brazilian. So, in Brazil, I really didn't know much about HIV. But, like, funnily enough, a year before I got diagnosed, uh, I was in high school and I had to work on this presentation for my biology class. And it was about STIs. My group chose HIV. So, like, I pretty much knew what was going to happen when I got my diagnosis. Like, I knew that I wasn't going to die. I already knew about you equals you. Uh, and uh, the nurse, the guy who saw me first, who gave me the news, uh, he explained that to me as well. But as I was leaving uh, the place, it was like a rapid test center mm-hmm. at my university. I was like, I just wanted to die. I didn't want to take the bus. I uh, wanted to throw myself on the bus. It was, uh, it was really was really really emotionally draining because like I knew that I would be fine uh, but I was worried about what other people would think of me and I was just starting a relationship with this guy that I really liked and I thought that I would have to end everything because of because of HIV and I was totally alone like it was the first time that I felt completely alone um, in the world and then what age were you sorry Daniel? I was 18 when I got when I got the news wow. it was it was was in February or March of 2019 um, but then I got home and I was like I have to tell someone so um, my mom was there so I told her she was amazing she was really supportive um, she was like I said what I asked her what am I gonna do now she's like well you're gonna go to the doctor and get your pills that you don't have anything else to do it's like you're gonna be fine <gasps> what a great response isn't that just That's so incredible. refreshing what's your mom's name yeah. my, my, my mom's name is Shirley Shirley? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. We love you. She was great. Uh, she was really excited about me going here, uh, coming here today Aww. as well. Um, and then like a week later, she got in contact with a friend of hers who's been living with HIV for like 40 years. And then she was like, listen, you can talk to her and you see that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to tell anyone else. So I kept, I kept it a secret for two, three years. Um, cause I, I knew that I was gay since I was 11, sort of, but then I, ne- I never got a chance to come out as gay because my sister did that for me without telling me. So I lost that opportunity. And then with HIV, they kept it a secret, but we have very specific laws about disclosing that information in Brazil. So like, even if you tell me, I cannot tell anyone else. But then, uh, when I arrived in Ireland, I was really lucky because my the very first friend I made here. He's a member of Act Up Dublin, so he understood. He understands this world. And uh, what's his name? His name is Andrew Levitt. Oh, I know Andrew Levitt well. Hi, Andrew. Andrew's great. He uh, behind Act Up Dublin, he is like the brains. He's the policy guy. He's the one who actually really got prep in Ireland for free. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, he he was uh, he was absolutely great. Um, and for the first time, like after meeting him, I felt comfortable to disclose that fact to someone outside my family. And, and then like a couple of months later, I finally, I, I, I met you and then I was like, yeah, I don't want to 
bury this anymore. Like it was just felt like this huge weight on my shoulders. And every time I meet someone, I feel like I need to tell people. And it was just massively taxing. So I finally managed to be brave enough to post, to make that post on Instagram. And and I felt free for the first time in three years. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that post? What was the post on Instagram? I purchased the, what is the name of the, the, the act of doubling you because you, and I took a picture and I just briefly told my story like uh, in, in Portuguese and the, the translation to English was terrible, but, um, but I, t- I told my story and then like that was diagnosed when I was 18, that I felt like my world, my world had ended. Um, and then I explained briefly about you, you equals you, and I got a lot of comments, like people really being supportive and understanding. And I was actually expecting a backlash when I posted that, but I had decided that I didn't care, um, that I was doing that for me and for the past community, so everybody else could just fuck off if they wanted to. Uh-huh. Absolutely, we're here with you. <laughs> but then I was really surprised because people were really supportive and really charming and. Like 10 or 15 minutes after I posted the, after I posted that, a friend of mine from college messaged me saying that he had just got, he's diagnosed and he didn't know what to do. So like we were on the phone for like three hours talking and that's exactly what I wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. And after, after talking to me, it was like, you're going to be okay. You don't have to tell anyone if you don't want to. Uh, My advice to you is that if you trust someone, tell someone because it's good to have someone to talk about this. And, but he was like, he said uh, he was really glad that he talked to me and because he thought that his life identity just like I did. I was so excited and touched when I saw your post because we had had coffee together and talked about you coming on the podcast. And I talked to Robbie about you and said that you're very young and that I had emphasized to you that, you know, you had to be sure and there was no pressure. And then I just turned around twice and you posted on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's a total rock star and he's more than ready and he knows what he's doing. So I'm just so proud of you. I'm so glad you're here, babe. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. This is the, this is the new step for me. Um, Cause uh, it's just, it took me years to finally be ready and actually I had to move to a different country because um, in Brazil people don't talk about this people don't talk about PrEP uh, people don't talk about HIV it's kind of hidden like the clinics are kind of hidden away and in my town only one hospital is responsible for performing the tests it's like not rapid tests but like the viral load tests and that sort of thing it's only one place so if you're there and people see you there they'll know what you're there for and I was I was really scared just because I thought I would lose job opportunities that I would lose friends and uh, when, when I told my sister and my cousin they both cried a lot and I was like yeah but I just told you that I'm okay it's like mm-hmm. I understand you're upset but like it was it's kind of hard for me to see them like that after I told them yeah, it's hard for people to almost mourn for you when you, there's nothing to mourn for. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. I'm fine. What's the problem? It's almost a, it's almost like they're stigmatizing us saying, oh, you've this awful thing. I'm so sorry for you. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm actually fine. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not sorry for myself. So why are you sorry for me? I mean, I was. But then, you know, it, 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 it took me some time mm-hmm. and, you know, got HIV mm-hmm. to un- fully understand what it is and what it means. And that is just part of my life. It's not... It, it's nothing that I'm worried about. 
And then can I ask, um, because you knew about Yukuju before your status, which is quite rare for us old queens, you know, because it's only kind of recent science. Uh-huh. Um, how has that impacted your HIV diagnosis? And also, like, getting into relationships and your sex life once you started to kind of um, kind of get to terms with your HIV status? I didn't have any sexual contact with anyone for like four or five months. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started having sex again when my doctor told me that I was undetectable. I was waiting for that. I knew that it would happen, mm-hmm. and I mean, I've well, I've skipped a dose or two because I'm not perfect, but uh, I almost never forget. And then after my doctor told me that I was intactable, I was like, "Yeah, I'm finally ready to have sex again." Um, and then I did, and nothing really changed apart from me abstaining myself from sex for that time. And I was just really anxious and really worried about. What people would think of me mostly. I mean, it was just my, my main concern was just the stigma around HIV, mm-hmm. not about my health. I knew that it would be fine. Mm-hmm. It was just, I was just concerned about society in general. I suppose it was, it was, it was really draining for mm-hmm. me the, 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 the whole time, the whole experience. And then coming to Ireland, and I was worried because then I had to Google because I didn't know anything about Ireland and I didn't know how you guys dealt with. High HIV, so I had to Google to see because some countries like we can't even go to, like mm-hmm. Russia. So. I wouldn't recommend going there, anyways. Or Dubai or something, you know. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but then uh, I read this website um, saying that the treatment here is uh, is a is free. That this is a green zone. That yeah. it could come. And uh, uh, and then my other concern was just to bring enough medication so I could have, so I had time to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think I brought like medication for a month. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where to go, and I I hadn't met Andrew at that time, so I just Google like HIV hospitals yeah. in Ireland, and then I came across St James's Hospital, mm-hmm. so I went there, and they're like, yeah, sure. I mean, I had the declaration from the doc, from doctor in Brazil, mm-hmm. um, the prescription, and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll book you for tomorrow, and you can come back. Oh, I love that. I'm in James's as well. I'll see you there, Daniel. <laughs> I see yeah, actually a lot I'm of my bad friends at the clinic. Tomorrow. Oh, are you? Yeah, there we go. tomorrow morning. It's a good social event. Yes. But um, I'm so happy that, you know, you, you almost thought it was a social debt when you first got it. You came onto Instagram and you're getting nothing but love and support. Uh, has it changed your idea about the fear around HIV in society? Yes. Uh, yes. I had, I had like this really tight, line of thought around HIV. I thought that people wouldn't understand uh, that I was alone. And and then after meeting Andrew, meeting you, and posting that, I finally felt like I had a community, mm-hmm. someone who embraced me that I wasn't alone because I hadn't met anyone else with HIV before. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. So it was just really, really lonely and sad because I was like, I'm alone in this, so what am I going to do? Um, but then after posting that, I saw I got all that support and I finally felt embraced. Great. Well, we're going to get you embraced by lots of lovely fellas. Are you kidding me? I know I, I can name 10 people who'd want to embrace you now. <laughs> but we have, a, we have a tribe. We have a couple of events coming up. We have our World AIDS Day celebration, of course, this week. And we have our Christmas party Woo! next week. So we're going to be bringing so you out and introduce you to loads more HIV positive people. Yeah. It's fun to be in the tribe for sure. And allow them to devour you. <laughs> but in a nice way. I'm excited. <laughs> Daniel is a writer, by the way, mm-hmm. Our Lady J. Do you have any advice for him? Pause writer to pause writer. Well, I have probably more questions than advice. Right. You bring on the questions. <laughs> yes. I love it. I, 
I would love to hear, well, advice, my only advice as a writer to every writer is to keep writing and always just keep writing. It, that's just so important just to spend the time um, and to discipline yourself with the time with writing. Um, and I'm saying that because that's what I need to tell myself. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I have a question about, um, because you, your status, um, you found out about your status so uh, close in time, relatively close in time to the current pandemic of um, COVID. And I was wondering um, how that shifted within you when the pandemic happened, how it shifted your relationship with your HIV status. Because I know personally, it felt like HIV um, was not, no longer um, as strongly stigmatized because there was this new virus that was being stigmatized. And, um, and, and so in a way it, it just redistributed the stigma around virus and science and um, kind of shook that up a bit. I would love to hear you talk about that. Uh, at first, like the first news, uh, after COVID happened, the first thing I saw was that like positive people weren't as susceptible to the virus as regular people um, because you know, we take the medication, so our immunity system is stronger somehow. And then I saw another thing saying that it wasn't true uh, so like I really didn't know what to think, and then they closed my clinic, the, my clinic, the clinic that I used to go to. They moved to a different place, so it was kind of further away. Um, but besides that, it didn't really change anything for me. I can help answer that question a little bit about the confusion around that. People living with HIV are at risk of more severe COVID. However, it's not because of our HIV itself. So we could be undetectable and have the same uh, immune response as HIV negative people. However, people living with HIV are much more likely to have comorbidities. So are more likely to have kidney issues, diabetes, uh, high cholesterol, so on. And so that makes us more likely to get severe disease. So that's why, because we, mo we mostly have um, other health conditions wrong, because the chronic health condition happens to all chronic health conditions, especially people who had it longer. So, so that's more the reason for severe disease. So that's where people are saying, oh, we're not at more risk. And then well, actually we kind of are, but it's not the HIV itself. Well, we don't have, I've, I've, I'm on a statin as well, but I'm okay, I've had all the control. So, so that's where that came from. But I do get what you say, Lady J. I do think the idea about viral transmission is on everyone's brain. Totally. And, and mm -hmm. for me, it was really, like we started the podcast during COVID and it was one of the reasons that I was inspired and jumped on it was because I knew that the relationship between HIV and society was changed forever by COVID and that there was definitely going to be a warmer reception to what I wanted us to do. Yeah, yeah. it has. I think lockdown also for many people <laughs> was like, well, what else yeah. can we do for sure? As, as Vado was saying, um, to kind of move on, I, I hear your dog snoring again. It's so cute. I'm so sorry. No, I'm um, trying to keep her awake for the duration of this interview. <laughs> so <She's> falling asleep. <laughs> um, well, at least it's her and not you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we're not boring you. We're boring your what dog. What if it was me? <laughs> I was blaming it on my dog. So the theme for this season, Our Lady J, is sexual healing. And we all, we all uh, understand that people living with HIV do have a, a kind of some uh, sexual healing to go through, some more so than others. And we always ask, we like to ask all our guests, what does sexual healing mean to you as someone who lives with HIV? Uh, for me, it means um, finding my comfort uh, with boundaries. I think as pause people, we often feel um, that our, we that we don't have the same um, amount of partners or the same pool 
um, in, in the dating pool that certain people won't date us or um, wouldn't be comfortable engaging in, in sexual activities with us because of our status. And I have found personally that that has um, led me to not having the boundaries that I should have at times um, regarding sex. And so for my own pause sexual healing, I've really had to reestablish what my boundaries are, um, especially for femmes. I feel like this is more the case. Yay, um, I agree completely. You know, I've had similar, exactly that experiences. And I also think for femmes, it's, it's more intense. And that's not something that you hear people say often. So I really appreciate that. So sometimes, yeah, thank you. I, I, it is something we need to talk about more. And for me, I wanted to just bring uh, consciousness into that and um, talk about uh, boundaries and how I've learned to say no. And, um, and I've learned what the, um, what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. And, you know, in this day and age with COVID, I, like I, I am abstinent and I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm being super careful, not, maybe I'm using COVID as an excuse to just to be <laughs> lazy. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it is, you know, I found healing in, in that, in, in abstinence, actually. Well, I'm abstinent too, but that's because I'm married. Most, <laughs> most married people, <laughs> most married people live that way. <laughs> um, and what about you, Daniel? Any thoughts on sexual healing? Um, like, uh, as I, as I said, I spent like five months without having any sexual contact with anyone. And then after my doctor told me I wasn't tactable, I had sex with someone and I didn't, we didn't use a condom. And after that, I was paranoid. I went immediately back to my doctor and I was like, can I get tested just to be sure that I'm detectable? And she was like, but you were just tested. And like, I know, but can we do it again? Then she did, and you know, I was still undetectable, so I just freaked out because I kind of, I thought that I had passed HIV on to my partner, which I knew was impossible, but still some part of me was like, oh my God, what if? Um, and I was just, I had to like to relearn how to respect my body, as you said, and set up some boundaries and learn how to get comfortable with sex again. But then I, I, I finally did. I mean, I had sex with only one person for quite a while, which helped mm -hmm. in that sense. And weirdly, I also like if sometimes I would feel more comfortable around like sex parties or something because I really didn't know anyone and I didn't have to talk to anyone, which means that I wouldn't have any sort of connections. So I wouldn't necessarily need to disclose, yeah. which helped, um, which helped me to heal. Um, but, but yeah, I guess, I guess that was, that was it around sexual healing for me. I was just like trying to forget. So then I started going on a dark path with drug abuse, drug abuse and alcoholism, as you said, um, just kind of to forget everything and live in the moment. Mm -hmm. Everything would come back the next day, way worse. Mm -hmm. uh, but for like five or six hours, I was free. We all have to skag after those sessions and it's not nice. It goes on for long. But may I ask, Daniel, how did you get from um, from the kind of low part of your life with the drug and alcohol abuse to where you are today? I started writing and I started this I uh, started a relationship with this amazing guy. And after a year or so, I told him 
I disclosed to him about my HIV status, and he was really lovely. He was like, um, why would that change anything for us? Um, he was like, I still love you. And, and I just started writing, and I was like, this is fine. I'm, I'm okay. This is not really a huge thing anymore. I was still afraid of what people would think of me, but I was comfortable enough that I knew, because I knew that people that I had actually told to wouldn't say anything to anybody else. And then I came to Ireland, and everything changed. So, like, coming here was wonderful. It's been wonderful. Um, and I don't, I don't think I, I want to go back ever. Don't go back. Yes, Jay. No, stay. <laughs> We're keeping you. <laughs> but unfortunately, we've kind of hit the end of the road now for our recording session. So before we go, we always like to end things on a positive note here at Pause 5 Podcast. So I'm going to go to you, our lady Jay, first. Have you got a positive note for our listeners? Well, I, at this moment, as I look at the beach, I, I want to remind everyone that um, the world is vast with its experiences. And even if you're feeling um, afraid of getting tested or you're, you're uh, afraid that your HIV status will get in the way of what you want and what you can achieve in the world, uh, just take a walk in nature, you know, uh, go outside and, and take a breath and uh, look at the sky, look at the ocean, look at a tree and uh, whatever you can find in that. And, and recognize the vastness of, of nature and the life that exists outside of our tiny little experiences and connecting with that can be so healing and uh, has been and continues to be a positive thing for me you equals universal i always say <laughs> medicated and meditated that's what you gotta do girls you equals you are the did you universe. say meditated and medicated and meditated yeah no, no, no. so what about you daniel have you got a positive note I would say that even if you're feeling lonely or just got your diagnosed, um, try to remember that there's someone there for you. We're here um, and you're not alone and it's not the end of the world. Everything's going to be fine. Just try to try to find the strength to keep fighting and remember that you're part of something big now. So you're you're you, you're going to be embraced. As I did. Just listen to what Our Lady J's social worker said to her. This could be your blessing in disguise. Exactly. And she's right. Well, this has been a blessing and not in disguise. And another blessing before we go, Our Lady J is kindly giving us some music that we're going to play ourselves Ooh. out with. Um, and we just want to say thank you again, Our Lady mm -hmm. J. Thank you, Daniel. You've thank been you. wonderful. Thank you all for listening. I love you guys. Stay, Stay positive. positive. You take a picture of a man And you tell me this is what healthy looks like Once a day we soothe my going Thank you so much for listening to Pause Vibe Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to spill your tea, your trauma, and have a HIV kiki with Robbie and Veda, slide into their DMs on Instagram and Twitter at Pause Vibe Pod.